Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. It's been a bit of a hiatus over here at the One Football Women's Football Podcast for various reasons, but we are back at last. We have a lot to sink our teeth into. Joining me firstly to do so is Georgia Goulding from Give Me Sport Women and co-founder of Her Football Hub. Georgia, thanks for joining us and a very happy International Women's Day to you. Thank you very much and thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. No, I, I just I don't want to confuse anyone there. We're recording this on Tuesday on International Women's Day. But <laughs> I am going to release it on Wednesday, so it won't be International Women's Day anymore. So just for anybody who thinks I've made a mistake, I haven't for once. Um, yeah, so it is International Women's Day when we're speaking. I, just quickly, I think there's only one place to start, really, after a, a weekend that includes a cup final, and that's with that cup final, the Conti Cup. Surprisingly, the first ever final between Chelsea and Manchester City in the women's game. It's been a bit of a season to forget for City, I think it's fair to say, but they came from behind to win 3-1. Firstly, Georgia, were you a bit disappointed with Chelsea's performance? I think after they started well, but after City equalised, it felt like there was only one winner. Yeah, I think they, they took their foot off the gas, but in terms of maybe saying disappointed with Chelsea's performance, I've been waiting for somebody to really put Chelsea to the sword. Um, and it was really it was really refreshing to see City get back to that winning team that everybody knows they can be because at the start of the WSL season, the wheels just completely came off and everybody was thinking, what is going on? This is an absolute disaster. They've pulled it back in the league. And obviously going on to win a cup is just going to be absolutely the morale boost that the team, the staff and the fans need because they have really have turned it around so, so well. And I think that final just showed exactly what we've been missing because players like Chloe Kelly being out have been really detrimental. But it just goes to show that they do have a strong side and they do have depth. And when they're firing from all cylinders they are really effective. And I just think this is the Man City that everybody has been waiting to come back. And I'm just, honestly, I'm, I'm thrilled with the result. I'm just glad that um, City are back and, and maybe this will give Chelsea a bit more to fight for, which is scary because they're already a, a terrifying team. Yeah, I think City, there's been an improvement, obviously, the last couple of months. But then you looked at the fixture list and you always sort of wondered how much of the improvement is some of those players coming back and how much of it is... Just a bit of an easier fixture list, maybe. Uh, Gareth Taylor used the, the opportunity in his press conference after the game to hit back at some critics. He said, I felt it was a little bit unjustified with the amount of injuries we had. What were people expecting in that situation when we were only able to select two or three outfield substitutes in a game and we were playing players in unfamiliar positions? It's easy these days to point a finger and say, is this person up to it or not? But I think you have to have belief in what you do. He obviously only took over in the summer came in with that horrible injury crisis. They were out the Champions League before it even started. And it does look like they've turned it around now. Have they? Have City been playing well enough recently for you to say, yeah, this is a work in progress? Or, yeah, we do still have three teams in England at the very top and they're on par or almost on par still with Arsenal and Chelsea? I think for sure at the minute, because um, there was a lot of a lot of fan reaction I saw that was very divided when it comes to Gareth Taylor. Um, I know a lot of people who were elated that he joined and they're fully backing him, but I know a lot of people are losing their patience as well. And I don't know if that's down to the poor run of form because 
as is with most sports, I think the finger gets pointed at the manager more often than not. Um, but he is right with his, you know, what he said about the injury crisis because they got hit with so, so many injuries. And like he said, they had like four players on the bench, including the goalkeeper. You would not expect that from a side like Manchester City. Um, but I think in the absence of some of these key players like, you know, Chloe Kelly and Steph Horton, people have stepped up. So Alex Greenwood slotting in that centre-back space. She's been incredible. Um, and that's something that she's now applying when she plays for England as well. So she's become more versatile. She's become more of a leader. And then players like Jess Park, who are kind of slotted into the forward roles to back up the likes of Lauren Hemp. Because um, if Chloe Kelly was fit, I imagine she would be starting the majority of these games. Mm-hmm. So you can never say that an injury is a blessing, but for other players, it's allowing people like Park to show what she's worth because she's been excellent in, in the last in the last few games. And I think obviously when, when more players are back, she will be the ultimate super sub, um, if not eventually challenging for a top spot. But I think how they've managed to come back from having like 11 players injured, even, you know, when Robert was injured and the goalkeeping issue was really really bad they just have a never say die attitude and you just really have to take your hat off to them and I think they've shocked the the top two teams as in Arsenal and Chelsea um I think everybody thought they were down and out they'd finish outside the the top five but they're they're well on their way to re-establishing themselves this season and I think people thought the season was over but it's it's not yeah, not at all. I mean, they've ended it now, no matter what happens with silverware, and they've closed the gap in the WSL, certainly, to Tottenham and to Man United as well. So that Champions League place in third is is more than up for grabs. I think this is definitely... You start to get the feeling that, yeah, this is a reminder, maybe for next season already, ahead of time, that City will not just let Arsenal and Chelsea take over the league and, and those two be the discussion again next season, as they have been for the title this season. As for Chelsea, is there? We've got to give credit, like you said, to City's performance. Do we worry about Chelsea a little bit? There are quite a few performances recently where it looks like after that blip just before Christmas, it looks like they're getting back to their best, and then the next week is a little bit poor again, and they're a little bit thin in midfield at the moment. I mean, a few weeks ago, Erin Cuthbert was filling in there, and now she's injured as well. Uh, Melanie Leopold is going to miss the rest of the season. It was announced yesterday. They just don't seem to be able to get any momentum going. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it is, it, you know, Erin Cuthbert is a blow. Um, but the positive news of Maren Mielda coming back and Magda Eriksson, uh, I think Mielda has been a really big miss um, since the injury she had last season. But that's the beauty of when you become so unstoppable like Chelsea. So they hit quite a small dip because I wouldn't say they're performing badly by any sense, you know, before they got beat by City in the final, they they enjoyed a 7-0 win yeah. over Leicester. Um, and then they drew against Arsenal before that. So that was, okay, it was a 0-0 draw, but that's still a really important fixture because it leaves the title race wide open. But Chelsea are now at the point where they are so, so good that people are starting to look at maybe one or two games where they don't perform a blistering performance and they think, oh, well, Chelsea are slipping. And I, I think personally that that is a compliment because people expect so much from them all the time because they are so, so good that anything less than incredible is just not up to standard. 
for, for Chelsea. And I just think that, you know, could you be in any better position where you've won pretty much everything? Uh, the Champions League is obviously the next one on the list and you miss out on one cup or you drop a couple of games and people are questioning your form. It's everybody just thinks they're going to win all the time. And I just think it is, it is a huge compliment to the team and to the quality of the team and also to Emma Hayes' management skills as well. Yeah, you're right. You, the, you know, that's the standard they've set and we now judge them to that standard, which is almost you know, beyond human the way that they've, they've been consistent over, over the last yeah. couple of years. So almost a victim of their own success a little bit, I suppose. Speaking of Chelsea, and obviously that playing in the Conti Cup final at the weekend means there's another game in hand for Arsenal, and they did win. They had a few shaky moments against Birmingham when it looked like they were over the line. That perfection that you talk about with Chelsea, I think it's summed up by the fact that they've got three games in hand on Arsenal. They're eight points behind, and I think most people would still have them as favourites for the title. You just sort of take for granted that they're probably going to win those three games. You just do expect them to win every time they step on the pitch. Arsenal, though, are doing all they can to, to keep their noses as far in front as possible. We've seen the last few games since we last recorded, Viv uh, Miedema and, and Stina Buxtenius are actually playing up front together now. What do you make of that? What have you made of that partnership so far? Oh, well, I, I think I've seen, you know, the, the hype around it on social media already. Um, the link up already, you can see it's it's going to be something special. But I know this is what people have been waiting for. Um, you know, Miedemar is, you look at her and you think, typical out-and-out striker, um, does exactly what she needs to do as a forward. But also people are so excited about seeing her perform in this number 10 role. A lot of people have been calling for it for a while. Um, probably the she's, people who have she's been, one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but probably the people who have been calling for Leah Williamson in, in um, defensive midfield. You know, the rubbing the the genie lamp and just their wishes are coming true. And I just think, <laughs> I think at first maybe people were thinking because when Nikita Paris joined, for example, and also Iwabuchi, people were thinking, where are they gonna? Where are they going to fit mm-hmm. in? Because Miedema won't be dropped. Obviously, Mead is an absolute monster down the wing. Um, there was worry over where these people would fit. And then obviously, Blackstinius joined. And I just think this looks like a very, very good recipe for success. And yes, Chelsea have these games in hand. Um, but all Arsenal can do is just, they can't look over their shoulder. They need to keep looking forward and just do all that they can to just keep the points coming in, keep the goals coming in. And I think between these two really well-established internationals, already, as I said, we're seeing the spark between their creative play. We're seeing Viv act more as a creative playmaker than a typical goal poacher. Um, I just I just think it's so, it's so exciting because you look at it on paper and think, how much more exciting can you get than having one of, if not the best striker in the world playing for you, well, you had someone like Cena Blackstinius <laughs> and you, you see the link up and, you know, people were saying it was game over when Chelsea were signing, you know, Sam Kerr, Penina Harder, even Lauren James, who hasn't played properly yet, but she will eventually. People were saying it's game over for Chelsea, but you can't sleep on Arsenal and the business that they've been doing. Um, it's, yeah, I think that their depth is very, very scary up front, arguably just as much as Chelsea's. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about playing those two together. You talk about some of the the, the injuries that have helped City recover as well a little bit. It feels like Arsenal did use the winter 
kind of putting that jigsaw together. Obviously, Leah Williamson came back from injury, but then had a, a new partner in Rafaela alongside her in defence. Leah Vilti is fit again now. She's playing with Kim Little, and there's not really a place in the team for Frieda Marnham anymore. It does look like slowly, I say slowly, it's been half a season that he's been in charge, but Jonas Eidevall has sort of settled on a favoured team now and a, and a favoured 11 at least. And then you have you know, the likes of some of the players you just mentioned, Nikita Paris, Tobin Heath on the bench to come on and change games, Mana Iwabuchi. It, <laughs> it's sort of on par, at least on par with whatever Chelsea have collected over the last few years in terms of a squad. So to see those two going head to head, I think is is fantastic. Something else I think we need to brush on is that Katie McCabe is now being dispatched more in a forward role, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have been waiting to see. And she was deadly from left back. So deploying her further forward, just it's just going to bring out even more of her, that eye that she's got for those crosses and those passes. But also she's not, she's not impartial to the goal either, but her assists were insane from the back line. So you can only imagine that if this is going to be a, a regular thing moving forward, that she's going to become Arsenal's new left winger. The assist tally you can only dream of because she's already so, so good from out wide that when she's actually up there all the time in those attacking positions, you can't imagine the link-up play between Arsenal's um, front three or arguably front four. Yeah, and, and especially even then, you've got Steph Catley playing at left-back instead and from dead ball situations in particular, you've not even lost that much of the threat that McCabe offered from left-back in terms of getting forward too. So it's, it really, really is an embarrassment of riches. Speaking <laughs> of embarrassment of riches, I don't think many players even dream of scoring a single corner kick in their careers. Katie Zellum scored three in two games. How how do you explain something like that? Honestly, I think Katie Zellum is she's she'll often have games where she just quietly controls the midfield, um, just keeps the engine room ticking over, I guess, without doing anything outstanding. Which is why I think a lot of people let her slip under the radar. Um, but she pulls out things like that that just no one else on the team can. That's outrageous. Well, n- no one else can, I guess, because that is just three three goals from a corner on the bounce, two in the same game. It's just like one, okay, you could maybe say that was a fluke. You didn't mean to do that. But three <laughs> yeah. in a row, come on. Like, I it's, think it's just, almost, yeah. It's almost like she scored the next two so that nobody nobody was left wondering if the first one was a fluke. It's, it's just completely, <laughs> it's audacious to, to keep attempting it after it's come off once or twice. I mean, I guess it makes sense if it keeps working for you, then keep doing it by all means. But I, I think most players would sort of settle for the first one and then never try it ever again or not try it again for a while anyway. But to do it once against Man City and then do it twice in the very next game is just... Yeah, it's it's completely unbelievable. I've, n- I've never seen anything like it. and I don't think we'll see anything like it again for for a long time. Think of being a goalkeeper as well, and you, you've got enough to worry about when you're setting up a defence for a corner, and now you've got to worry that the ball's going to fly over your head into the top corner too. Yeah, it's just an absolute nightmare for, for anyone facing United for the rest of the season now that's going to be in the back of their heads, I'm sure. How do you fancy their chances? Obviously, we spoke about City and their recovery. Tottenham dropped points at the weekend too. City always prefer to have points on the board than games in hand, as people say. 
United got the points on the board at the weekend. Tottenham dropped them as they only drew nil nil. So they opened up a bit of a gap there. They've got that gap over City, even though there is that game in hand. Do you think we could see United in the Champions League next season or do you think City are going to catch them? It's tough to say because, yes, they have the game in hand, but then they United will still be ahead on points. So it, it's kind of like what I said about Arsenal. I think United just need to worry about themselves, not get too much in their own heads, not worry about what City are doing, um, just keep doing what they're doing. I think the, the Spurs score was good for them because... I mean, I personally did not expect Tottenham to be so high up the table this season. Um, mm-hmm. There was one point that they were, you know, right at the at the sharp end of it. They've done so, so well. Um, United obviously will have been devastated to have just missed out on Champions League last season. It was, what was it, two, two points, one point. It was yeah. very, very small margin. Um, and I just think they're back with a vengeance. I think there, there has been fixtures where they haven't looked themselves and... You know, the loss to, to City recently will have annoyed them. Um, but the fact that they've had kind of more poor performances and they are still third and they are still very much in the running to secure Champions League football just shows that they, they're committed to the cause. And I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of love and passion in that dressing room because I think when Casey Stoney left, a lot of people thought that that would be it and the mm-hmm. morale would drop and they would just completely dip in form but that hasn't been the case um they're just doing they're just doing themselves they're just keeping their heads down getting on with it and I think if they carry on the way they're going then to be honest I think yeah I I do fancy them for Champions League yeah I mean we've got we've got United have got Chelsea on the final day of the season which is going to be for for all four places the the top four places I guess including the title and the Champions League place in third is going to be a massive, massive day. I, I, I could see both of them easily going down to the to the wire and then for them two to be playing each other on the last day is massive. Tottenham, yeah, as you say, I think surprised everybody a bit this season, have managed to have this season without ever really scoring many goals or winning many games too convincingly. And they've got Chelsea, Arsenal and City, not in that order. Um, but they've got, uh, I think it's City, then Arsenal, then Chelsea in their next three games. And they play Chelsea twice still this season. So I think, no disrespect to them, but I think we can probably count them out and, and say it'll be between United and City down to the wire. Either way, we are set up for a pretty spectacular end to the season. After Chelsea last season, I wouldn't say snatched the title, but we'll run all the way last season. As you say, Arsenal and United then fighting for third. I think we're set for pretty much the same thing all over again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that that two-all draw um, between City and Chelsea last season was probably the game of the season. Um, absolutely unreal. Um, but there was part of me that was watching it. And even though City were pushing, 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 I just thought this is just that this whole thing's just got Chelsea's name written on it. I just had a feeling about it and um, I think a lot of other people did as well. And I, I think it might just be down to just the sheer frightening quality of Chelsea's team. Um, but it's so good that the title race is close again this season and also the Champions League battle is as well. Because I think last season, it only started to get a bit interesting right towards the end. Whereas now, it's been 
all out in the open pretty much from the start like nobody could call it there was obviously mm-hmm. a time where people were saying Everton would get top three I was one of them I'm not gonna lie I, I thought Everton would be right up there very very uh mistaken in that um I, I feel for Everton I think they're having a an, an awful season in terms of just no luck is going their way at all um but and yeah. you get to you get to a certain point and Everton sh- should should definitely be safe from relegation you get to a certain point and I think in a, in that situation, they'll just want the season to be over as soon as possible so they can put it to one side and start thinking about next year, surely. Yeah, I mean, I do really feel for them. Like Everton is, is a club close to my heart and I really honestly, not even biasly, thought they would do so well this season. and just They just haven't and it's sad to see because they brought in so many good new players. I think people thought the signing of Tony Duggan was going to be a yeah. revelation signing. I did as well. Um they just haven't been able to get into the top gears at all. I don't really know what what the problem's been, but yeah, they're they're comfortable, they're safe. They're, I think there was a, obviously a point where people thought, oh, they might get relegated, but they they won't. Um, but quite surprised that they are as low down as they are. I really did think it was going to be a lot closer to the top. Um, Reading though have uh, have surpassed my expectations because I've always said Reading and Everton are kind of the best of the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought it would be between those two challenging for Champions League, but Brighton and Reading and then obviously Spurs have been quite dark horses, I think, this season. Yeah, and I think it's just it's just great to be able to talk about a WSL season where, you know, compared to last year, I think Chelsea won 18 of their games last season. I think they'd need to win every single game uh, for, the, for the rest of the season, nine to go to match that again. It, after last year, after the last couple of years, I think it's just such a great sign of progress of the women's football in England and, and in the top two tiers anyway, that teams are holding their own now week in, week out. And like we, we saw with Birmingham for the second time this season, they're bottom of the table, they've won one game all season. And for the second time this season, gave Arsenal a scare. They didn't take any points this time, but this weekend gave Arsenal something really to worry about by the end of the game. So it, it's only going to go, the whole league, the, the whole system, the top two t- flights at least, they're only going to go from strength to strength the more that we see that sort of competitiveness between the teams from you know from anywhere in the league and not just the top two or three having a great game every time that they face each other. Absolutely. And and honestly, hats off to Birmingham because they, you know, they've really struggled as well. And I thought they made some some pretty good signings too. Um another team who have just had torrid luck, but yeah, the the two nil upset over Arsenal. That was I, ca- I can't imagine what being a Birmingham fan must have been like <laughs> for that. And then, obviously, six goals in the most recent one. It was four two, so they lost, but they still managed to score two past you know Arsenal. And just I just think even if which I think you know look at the table now, it looks inevitable that they will be going down. Um, I mean, never say never, but you know it's and it, it's it's a tough one because you know Birmingham are. Are one of the OG clubs, and so many amazing players have come from Birmingham, and they've got such a rich history. And it, it'll be a shame mm. to see them go down. And also for the players at the moment as well, because they are just fighting tooth and nail. I think they're they're not even thinking about it. They're not. And I, I guess it must be so hard not to get sucked into that. Oh well, what's the point? Attitude. So just honestly, yeah. credit to them and, and credit to the staff for just saying, look, let's just keep giving it everything. Whatever happens, happens, and we'll we'll go out with a bang. 
Yeah, and focus, you know, focus ahead of time, I guess, if they do go down. I'm sure they've not given in yet, but focus on next season and getting straight back up again, hopefully before long. We have a situation where more than one team is promoted from from the second tier and we can start to grow the WSL even more. Lastly, I would say lastly, I think we've still got a bit to talk about, but I wanted to move (laughs) on from the WSL to the national team, to the Lionesses and the Arnold Clark Cup because we've not managed to cover it on the podcast yet. Firstly, a bit of a broad question, but how impressed were you by England? Um, very impressed, but also very annoyed because I actually was <laughs> at the game um, and the train that I was getting home was basically, I was cutting it really, really fine if I was uh, going to stay till the very right. end. I see where this is going. Yeah, so I left um, and I was outside Molyneux waiting for my taxi and I just heard, I'd been outside for about 30 seconds, so I'd just stepped out the door, and I just heard inside, like, erupt. <laughs> and I just heard them scream, you know, England goal over the tannoy, you and I missed, was like, yeah, I was like, Millie you've Bright got turning to be into, Turning into the, the leading centre forward on the continent. Oh, God, honestly, well, actually, luckily enough, I saw that one, but it was the third one that okay, I missed. Yeah, and, okay. and I was, I was just like, oh, really? So I missed the trophy lift, missed all that. I was absolutely furious, but was just watching all all the lives on the train home, and um, obviously the infamous picture of Millie Bright and uh, Alexia Pateas holding the golden boot is just something that will go down in history. I don't think <laughs> yeah. anybody ever thought they'd see that. <laughs> no chance. No chance. Um, was this a benchmark ahead of the Euros? I mean, obviously, it was it, it was a strange a strange atmosphere. I think a little bit going into the tournament where Serena Vigman's England, we'd seen them against teams that just aren't at at their level. We'd seen them play a lot of games that we couldn't really learn anything from at all. And this is now the first time, just a few months before the Euros, that we got to see them against Germany, we got to see them against Spain, we got to see them against Canada. This felt like the time to set a benchmark, and they did it, didn't they? I think so. I think uh, winning silverware is something that England fans have been pining for, you know, since the She Believes Cup. Um, and it just, it, it does, it, it sets the tone. I mean, I think Serena's come in and just completely changed the, the landscape of the team. Um, I know a lot of fans were getting frustrated with young players not being given a chance, whereas Serena's just completely swooped in and she's used the camps to say, I'm going to try you all and I'm just going to see see if I like what I see and and she's experimenting so like I touched on earlier Alex Greenwood's been playing at centre-back occasionally um you know Serena's been starting Leah Williamson in midfield and she's just trying different things that I think managers before her have been a bit too scared to and also she's not afraid to drop the more veteran players for the younger up-and-coming ones like Lauren mm-hmm. Hemp for example is absolutely nailed on to be an England starter for the Euros um I personally saying um, that's no leak or anything like that. That's my personal opinion. Um, <laughs> but I just think she's just, um, she's, I think she's just ruthless, but in a, in a good way as in, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And if this doesn't work, then I'll go with that. Or if that doesn't work, I'll tweak this. And she's just getting the best out of what she's got. But then also looking at the other, like Elisa Russo, um, hadn't been given an opportunity and now she has and I think she could become a mainstay in the England team as well and I just it's all about taking the chances on these players because while we have the legends who are still in the game they aren't going to be here forever and it's not healthy for an international team to rely on these players that the young blood needs to come through and need to get confident 
and the need to take the torch and carry it on. And I think Serena is really helping to spearhead that. And I, I think, yeah, getting a cup has absolutely put them in good spirits ahead of the Euros. No, I think that's exactly it. Moving on, you, you really see this England team now, and not in a bad way, not in like a transitional way that means they're they're putting the present on ice and thinking of something one or two years down the line. You see an England team now that's really moving on to what the future England team will be. I think if you looked at an England lineup a couple of years ago and thought, right, how many of these players will be in the England lineup in four years, at, say the next World Cup, at the last World Cup, that number didn't feel very high. Now you're looking at an England team where they're coming up to the summer and the next World Cup and the Euros after that, it could basically be the exact same 11 again. So I, I think you're you're completely right, moving on to that new generation. And, and as you said, doing what's best for the team as well, not playing players based on reputations, not, not trying to shoehorn players in, players, think of, of Frank Kirby, who we'll talk about in a bit, I don't think she's afraid to drop Frank Kirby, who we we ha- just haven't seen the best of her in an England shirt, the, the way that she plays for Chelsea and the way that Chelsea can use her. So I think that's a massive, massive step forward for England. Like you say, Leah Williamson in midfield as well. And well, fine, because Alex Greenwood and Millie Bright playing really, really well at centre-back. Does that mean that you play without Leah Williamson? She's decided no, it means you play her in midfield and you make the most of that in in a gap, maybe in the squad where there's there's a little bit less depth. So... I think, as you say, it's it's about putting England first and making the best decisions for the team. I want to ask you about Williamson in particular. What do you make of her playing in midfield alongside Kira Walsh and, and that sort of solid base? And do you see her remaining as captain for the summer? I would personally like to see her remain as captain. Um, I think we've seen leadership skills from her come through at domestic and international level. She's just cool, calm she's got that fire in her belly um and yeah I, ju- I just i think she is a ready-made captain um she's she's really shown her worth uh, in the absence of steph i think um she's really stepping up to the plate and i think yeah alongside kira walsh like myself and, and a lot of people have just been wax lyrical about it um just such a solid d- defensive duo um but also Kira is someone who isn't afraid to shoot from far and also Leah is someone who's not afraid to drive the ball forward. So, and this is what I mean about Serena. She's, you know, she's trying new things and then when she sees something that she sees a spark in, she's running with that. Um, but then also she's not putting all of her eggs in one basket. So obviously if this, if this duo between Walsh and Williamson didn't work, it's not like the whole England team will collapse. She probably has a plan B, C, all the way down to Z. So... Yeah, it's. I think it's an exciting time as an England fan because there's been a there's been a good few years where I think it's felt a bit stagnated. Even though you look on paper and you see all these impressive players, and it just hasn't really clicked and looks not really gone their way. But now, I think we're on the cusp of something really really exciting. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd personally love to see Leah become the new captain. Speaking of getting players into putting England first and playing players maybe in positions they don't play in at club level or trying new things and playing players in positions they haven't played in for England before brings me quite nicely to Rachel Daly. And like there's a, there's a friend of the podcast who would be, would be furious if I refused to mention or, or didn't bring up the fact that Rachel Daly, again, is playing a fullback for England when she does get on the pitch. Obviously, we know 
how stacked the squad is in terms of attacking talent and, and players on the wings, especially you mentioned, you know, Russo and Toon and Lauren Hemp and uh, and Beth Mead earlier as well. But is it fair on Rachel Daly? And is there any way that she can get into this England team if it's further upfield? When you said talking about playing players out of their position, I just absolutely knew Rachel Daly was what you were going to ask me. Um, And that's something that stemmed from, I think, Phil Neville, um, because a lot of people Uh got really, really angry with him. They were just like, why are you just playing forwards in every position other than forward? Um, Because he did it with uh, Rachel Stanway, Georgia Stanway. Um, But Gareth Taylor's doing that as well at club level. And I just think, I guess it's kind of a compliment to them because... Stanway and Daly have both um, really adapted to just being an all-round wide player, I think. I think Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if they're up front or further back. It's the same as Katie McCabe as well. Um, They they can obviously defend, but they're naturally goal-scoring players. Um, I think it would be tough for Rachel Daly to kind of challenge to get in above the likes of Hemp and Mead um, I would like to see her in some sort of experimental front three to see what works because obviously her natural position is is up front on the wing and we do know that she can create and she can score. Um, but whether this is uh, a role that she's now taken on and, and embraced and this is something she wants to do, you know, I don't know. Um, but now this is, what, the third manager because it was Neville and then Risa mm-hmm. and, now it's, and now it's Serena who are all playing her at right back. So I don't know if Phil Neville set this precedent where it's kind of like an unspoken law that you can't play Rachel <laughs> Daly anywhere but right back. But, well, it, um, it worked for America with Crystal Dunn as well. So uh, I don't know if, this, if that's the way to get as many attacking players into the team as possible and, and she's the one most suited to play at fullback, then I, I guess it's either that or she wouldn't be in the team at all. Yeah, I guess so. And it's kind of harsh to say because I, I, think, I think Rachel's an incredible player, but as you said, England are, are stacked in terms of um, talent that is more senior and talent that's coming through. So, for example, Ellen White, I think, should always have a space in the England squad. I just think she, she's evergreen. I think um, there's certain games that really, really suit her more than they would suit uh, a different striker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think Ellen White shouldn't be shouldn't be ruled out of any big tournament. She absolutely loves a big occasion. Um but yeah, it would be tough trying to see where, where Rachel would fit and who she would get in above. But I don't think she should be dropped from the from the team. So it, it is tough. And maybe that is why they kind of mainly play her in defence because they know that there's so many attackers that maybe she would just be snubbed of a spot. I'm not sure, but um, I think I think she's great on the ball, both at right wing and right back. Lastly, and another player who's, I mentioned her earlier, her England form has never lived up to her club level form. You missed the goal against Germany in the in the, in the dying moments of that game. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> is, there, is there a possibility that England fans can dream big and hope that this is it? This is the summer where we see Frank Kirby play like we know Frank Kirby can play, but in an England shirt. I hope so, because um, I think Fran's story is really inspiring because obviously she, there was questions over whether she'd return to football at all um, Mm -hmm. with her illness. And then she came back and it was like she had never been away 
she, she came was, back better than ever almost yeah, on, honestly absolutely she she's always been such a good player but she just came back with an absolute venom as if to say how dare i be ill and, and, <laughs> and not not be on the pitch um and she was just a absolute whirlwind and the partnership she's created with sam kerr is is just sublime um but you do you do get players i guess who are like that maybe they I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the system or if it's the occasion, because I know for a, for a long time, people um, people were comparing Millie Bright's performances for Chelsea to England. And, and I do agree. I feel, I feel she defends in a different style. I can't put my finger on it, but I do see her quite differently in Chelsea to playing for England. Um, or it might be down to the coach, who knows? But I really would love to see Fran blossom, especially at the Euros. Um, because she she's got it in her locker. It's just yeah, it's it's one that stumps you because you know you think that these players are going to be excellent all year round. Doesn't matter what shirt they pull on or what stage they're on. But sometimes that is just how it is, and they just hit a rut and can't get out of it when it comes to the international team, which is annoying. Because I imagine there's nothing more that gives them pride than representing their country. Yeah, and fingers crossed. Seriously, because I think it's. <laughs> it does. I don't even think it matters who you support. I think it's great for football and for football fans everywhere. If the Euros has a, a fit and fire in Frank Kirby, that's the best thing for the sport and and a sport that's growing and will we'll have more eyes on it. Hopefully, and especially in England, more eyes on it than it's ever had before in this summer. Than a, a fit and inform and on top of her game, Frank Kirby is the sort of player that can inspire millions and millions of people to to put their boots on and, and kick a ball around. I think. Definitely, yeah. She she's got that, hasn't she? Like she's just she's one of those that uh, you, I, there's players you buy into the game more because of the players, mm-hmm. um, and she yeah she she's one of them. And I think there's a, there's a lot of characters like that in the England squad actually. And yeah, I think you know they if they come out with with a squad full of players like this, charismatic, passionate on home soil as well, with the backing of the home fans, I. I you know, there's there's so much there's so much behind them to to see them go far, and the, I think the Arnold Clark Cup was a nice little warm up. Um, and yeah, I'm just I, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm just I'm so I'm so excited to see to see what happens because I do I do honestly have really high hopes. Georgia, thanks a bunch for joining us. Um, we can't wait to talk to you again. Where can people find you and find your work? No, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. So um, I'm on all socials, uh, Georgia Golden on Instagram, at GJ Golding on Twitter. And also, uh, if you want to follow Give Me Sport and her football hub, it's at Give Me Sport W and her football hub on socials. Thank you so much again. Speaking of her football hub, don't go anywhere because we have another guest coming right up who writes for her football hub to chat all things German football and especially VfL Wolfsburg after a big few weeks for them. Welcome back and welcome to Helena Sophie Altgeld, who's here to talk about us, uh, talk to us about ongoings in Germany. How are you, firstly, Helena? Yeah, thanks. I'm great. Um, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. No, thank you so much for joining us. For anybody who doesn't know, Helena is, writes about German football from time to time for her football hub. And firstly, 
it was a little while ago now, but we've not had a podcast for various reasons. I wanted to ask you about the national team quickly. A lot of players were missing for the Arnold Clark Cup. Svenja Hood, uh, Zenith uh, Marzan, Tabea Vasmuth weren't there. Melanie Leopold also wasn't there. And now we know that she'll be missing the Euros in the summer as well. Do you have any concerns for the national team? And what do you think are the realistic expectations for the summer? I definitely do have some concerns. Um, I wouldn't say that those are new because um, I think we saw some games um, before the Arnold Clark Cup too um, where where Germany just struggled to create chances or um, yeah didn't seem too stable at the back. But um, yeah, this tournament definitely showed once again that there's lots of work to do um, before the Euros, which um, is a problem, obviously, because there are only um, four four months left, I think. So um, yeah, what um, what concerns me the most is that Germany just struggles to um, to make the right decisions on the counter, and at the same time, it always seems a bit too slow um, in possession. So. Um, yeah, it's just um, difficult to, to create chances. And when we do, um, it's a matter of taking taking the shots at the right time. And yeah, I think um, these injuries are definitely um, part of an explanation for that. But also um, these problems have occurred before, so it isn't exactly new. So I think for the Euros um, at the moment, I'm not too optimistic, I'd say. Well, first of all, the priority should be to make it out of the group, which isn't easy, of course, um, given that we have to play Spain and Denmark, um, two absolute um, yeah, powers in women's football in Europe. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, if we make it out of the group, that's already a good one. And then we might face England, I think, um, in the quarterfinals, mm -hmm. and we we'll see what happens there, but definitely... Not an easy task there. Was there anything for you, you after say? after playing against Spain and, and England, obviously now so recently, was there anything that stuck out for a reason for optimism and positivity? Well, um, you could argue, of course, that getting a draw against Spain, who are um, viewed by many as favourites um, for the Euro, is a good thing. Um, and I think that um in the first um half it was okay and um germany didn't concede a goal and i think um spain still um still struggled a bit um they they dominated possession but didn't really create that many chances and i think um yeah germany was actually on par um and then the second half wasn't as good but yeah that first half was um actually quite good i'd say and against England it wasn't so good I'd say so I'd, I'd say that that was actually um, Germany's worst game at um, the Arnold Clark um, Cup and they lost against Canada too but they did create some chances um, and I'd say that it was um, down to bad finishing in that one which is a problem too of course but I'd say it's um, easier to, to solve than um, when you just can't create chances at all. 
Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Obviously, the, there's news today that Selena Cherchi is, is injured and will miss the Euros, which is a huge blow for Germany after she's had a, a really great season in the Frauen Bundesliga, which is what we're going to talk about now. I think that injury means we can probably rule Potsdam out of the title race a little bit more than the other teams that are still involved at the top of the league, especially with the, the schedule that they have coming up. We do still have Bayern and Wolfsburg at the top. But for once, there's a real title race, not just between those two, but with the teams chasing them as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, such an exciting season in the Frauen Bundesliga this year. And I can't wait um, to see what those um, big games coming up now bring. Yeah, so um, like I said, um, Hoffenheim and Frankfurt are still in the race. Um, I could definitely see them. Um, upset Bayern and Wolfsburg again. We already saw it once um, this season. So um, Frankfurt beat Bayern, of course, and Hoffenheim, um, Wolfsburg. Um, it was a 2-1 win, I think. Um, so I think they could definitely repeat that one. And then it's, of course, a matter of um, winning against smaller teams as well. And we've seen that season as um, this season as well that um, teams like Bremen or um, Leverkusen, Freiburg um, could hold these top teams to a draw or even win. So um, that's exciting too and it shows that the Bundesliga is getting more competitive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I know I know that Freiburg are the team that you watch quite closely. I remember watching them in the in the Pokal this season against Bayern and I mean, quite unfortunate really to to be knocked out and, and certainly not as convincingly as the scoreline was. Bayern play Hoffenheim next week and the gap is four points. So obviously people should keep an eye on that one. Our attention though is going to be a Wolfsburg for the next little bit. They play Arsenal in the Champions League later this month. And after years leading the women's game, they've dropped off a little bit, I would say, in the last few seasons. It looks now like they're making some moves to correct that, right? Yeah, definitely. So they're going through a bit of a rebuilding stage at the moment, I'd say. And um, they have a new coach, of course, um, Tommy Strode. Then many new players um, coming in last last summer too. And um, I think those two additions now, so um, Eula Brandt and Merle Frooms, are just um, a bit those missing pieces for the puzzle. And I think, um, yeah... Um, the sporting director Ralph Kellerman has done a great job and it really shows that Wolfsburg still have um, those ambitions to be the dominating team and um, I think after many players left like um, for example Pernilla Harder or um, Sarah Gunnarsdottir um, for bigger cl- clubs or um, yeah, clubs outside of Germany and I think they're just showing that um, yeah they're still a top team and I think it's going to be a very exciting development. Yeah, Merle Frums coming from Frankfurt and is arguably the best goalkeeper in, in the league and certainly one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And Jule Brandt, a name that we're going to be hearing a lot of for a very long time, I think. how Just how talented, how far can Jule Brandt go in women's football, do you think? Yeah, she's just um, such a shooting star. So for me, it's incredible to think about her development because... She only um, made her debut in Hoffenheim in um, in the 2020-21 um, season 
and then she got called up for the national team not even one year later at um, the age of 18 and then she really had her breakthrough and scored um, many goals she has um, I think um, 11 goals and nine assists across um, all competitions this season and she's really an exciting player one who um, who has a great intuition, um, who's unpredictable, dynamic, um, she has a good technique and um, yeah, she makes her decisions very quickly, which is um, what makes her stand out for me on the pitch. And um, yeah, it's very hard to defend her. I think um, she'll definitely um, be one of the key players for Germany's national team as well in the, in the coming years. Yeah, Germany and, and Wolfsburg as well, obviously. On top of that, for for Wolfsburg, Alexandra Pop is back, the the star striker of German football for so many years. They've had Tabea Wasmut with a fine season, especially in the Champions League. She can't stop scoring. Jill Rod is a big goal threat from midfield, but Pop has been hugely missed, hasn't she? Absolutely. Um with Eva Payor um, being injured as well and then having Pop out too. So um, these were two um, massive blows for Wolfsburg and it's just um, so important for them to have her back. Um, she's a leader as well. Um, she has um, really this presence on the pitch, um, this physicality as well. Um, she can lead a team. She can be the one that says, okay, come on, we're going to get that win now. She has won so many important games for Wolfsburg um, she's very good at headers too, so I think um, uh, Wolfsburg will definitely be more dangerous at set pieces now. And yeah, I think um, her her impact on this Wolfsburg side is immense. So with her back, they've already knocked Chelsea out of the Champions League. I know that you watch Arsenal quite a bit as well. How much of a threat do you think Wolfsburg pose Arsenal, who are obviously enjoying a pretty good season under under Jonas Adewal and sit top of the WSL. They're into the Champions League knockout rounds. Are they should they be worried? How worried should they be about playing Wolfsburg in the in the next round? Well I'd say that um, the teams are on par um, and that Wolfsburg definitely shouldn't be underestimated. Um, but yeah Arsenal um, are in better form now. Um, they had, yeah, there were some worries in December when they lost some games, um, like um, in Hoffenheim, and then um, later the defeat against Birmingham as well. And now they're back to winning ways. So um, I think we can expect um, a good game. Wolfsburg are in good form too right now, as you said. Um, They'll definitely um, keep an eye on Tabia Wasmut. Yeah, she scored eight goals, um, fantastic tally, um, and she was so good in both games against Chelsea. She kept um, getting behind the defense and um, getting those line-breaking passes. So I think it's very important for um, Arsenal to have a pacey centre-back now. So um, they recruited um, the Brazilian Rafaei, of course, um, this winter, and I think she'll... Um, massively help um, the Gunners to defend um, Wasmut and Hood, who are um, just a really good duo this season. And um, yeah, I think um, both sides um, have great attacks, but also some moments of disorder in defense, I'd say. So we can definitely um, expect 
um, two very good games um, with many chances. So I'm going to put you on the spot. One last question. There's, I think, seven games to go. Wolfsburg have eight in the Bundesliga. Who do you think is going to win the title? We have Bayern, we have Wolfsburg, we have Hoffenheim and Frankfurt just behind them and Turbina Potsdam just behind them. If I had to ask you, if you had to give me an answer, who are you backing for the title this season? Uh, tough question, of course. Um, but I'd actually say Bayern because um, I think Wolfsburg got um, the win, of course, against Bayern in their first match of the season. But um, Bayern were the team that had more chances and they also scored a lot more goals against um, smaller teams um, this season than Wolfsburg. Um, I'd say that the individual quality in attack, um, especially um, when we talk about squad depth, is just a bit better um, for Bayern. And I think that's what will give them the edge. Um, now in these um, important months where you have um, so many games. Um, so, yeah, I'd say um, it's going to be very close and I think um, all four top teams will drop points against smaller sides again. But in the end, I would say that Bayern will come out on top. Helena, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell people where they can find more of your more of your thoughts and your work? Um, sure. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at H-S-R-L-T-G-E-L-T or just um, read my texts on herfootballhub.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.